You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Outdoor Class and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Outdoor Class is the new single source of premium outdoor education from trusted, knowledgeable experts. For hunters committed to improving their skills, Outdoor Class is the only subscription-based e-learning platform that provides unlimited access to video lessons from the world's most respected experts covering topics across a hunter's entire journey. Learn from industry leaders like Corey Jacobson, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, and other prominent personalities and organizations. Sign up today and use code AVERAGE to save 20%. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. You feel that? That is fall in the air, and it is a beautiful thing. I've woken up the last two mornings with frost on the ground. Fall is here. It's a great time of year, so I hope everyone is out enjoying the outdoors in some way, shape, or form um, during this beautiful fall weather. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Um, As many of you know, I think I talked about it in last week's episode, um, but we are kicking off Org Month here on the podcast and basically to sum it up is I'm going to be highlighting a different type of conservation organization um, every week. Originally it was supposed to be for just the month of October uh, but had a ton of great guests that we've been able to get lined up and we had another one that we're going to do kind of something special with uh, with the BHA Armed Forces Initiative around Veterans Day. So we're going to actually run this up until, uh, gosh, middle of November, the way it looks now. So 
ton of great episodes with a ton of great guests coming up. Um, and again, today is is no different. We're kicking things off with Nick Pinizzato. And Nick is the CEO of the National Deer Association. And many of you are quite familiar with the National Deer Association, maybe uh, in its current form uh, or maybe in its uh, previous as the QDMA. Uh, but Nick was was certainly um, a big hand in the merger. And Nick is one of those guys who, I mean, he's passionate about whitetails. And thankfully so, because he's, you know, running just this tremendous organization full of amazing people doing a ton of amazing work, you know, all across the country. Um, Nick and I get to get to talk about really a wide variety of things as it pertains to the whitetail deer, um, you know, and not only that, but how um, NDA is helping get new hunters into the field with their field to fork program, what that looks like, how many people uh, they've really been able to impact by it. And, you know, the best part of his job is, you know, as, as he kind of talks about is getting, you know, texts and emails and phone calls from someone who is a part of their field to fork program. Um, and then a year later, they're, you know, sharing their stories of success while they're out there by themselves. And uh, it's just, you know, we talk about the the woods and, and really understanding, um, you know, all of the kind of micro um, ecosystems that, that go into, um, you know, the habitat that these white-tailed deer live in and, and what they're doing, um, you know, not only from a boots-on-the-ground standpoint, NDA, but also from a policy standpoint, um, which is where the, the merger um, between QDMA and previously the National Deer Association, where that's really helped um, put everyone on the same page. So uh, a great episode. Uh, I thought Nick was going to be a great guest to kick off Org Month um, here in Michigan and where Nick is at in Pennsylvania. Um, deer season just kicked off. Archery deer season just kicked off uh, this previous Saturday. Um, so timing-wise, everything, it, uh, it seemed like a good fit. So episode 122 with Nick Pinizzato. Enjoy. Um, for the episode with Nick, uh, I'm going to talk about some of the partners of the podcast. Uh, first and foremost, my friends over at Go Hunt. Uh, now is actually a great time. Um, head over to Go Hunt, download their Explore map, their Explore membership for their mapping system. And if you use code AVERAGE when you check out, you're going to get um, this promotion that they're running. So the promotion is right now, um, you're going to get all 50 states for $50 and you're going to get $50 to use towards their gear shop. Use code AVERAGE at checkout. That's all you need to do. Now is a great time to grab the Explorer membership. Um, hunting season's in full swing. I mean, we're kicked off all across the country here. So now is a great time to upgrade that mapping system and check out the Explorer membership over at GoHunt.com. Also want to talk about my friends over at Hard Side Hydration. Um, if you haven't already, uh, you should absolutely be checking out Hardside Hydration and the Swig Rig. Yeah, that's right. If you're looking for something that's rugged and dependable, um, the Swig Rig Hydration Setup is all that you need for your backcountry pursuits. Um, head over to hardsidehydration.com. And what the Swig Rig Doug is, does is it converts any Nalgene bottle into your hydration setup. And it gives you options. Well, it's going to give you an option that's easy to clean, easy to access, and allows you peace of mind that your hydration setup isn't going to fail you. What I've also found is even for us whitetail hunters, um, just having it in your pack and something that you're not having to constantly reach for, unscrew a bottle, pull a bottle out of your pack, thermos, whatever it is, um, Swig Rig, just grab the hose, bite valve, good to go, less movement, it's quieter, which means you're going to set yourself up for a successful hunt. So head over to hardsidehydration.com and check out the Swig Rig. All right. Well, good morning, Nick. Welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great. I'm well aware, excuse me, well aware of your show and happy to be on here. So thanks for the invite. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is, um, this is one that that since uh, Dan, uh, mutual friend Dan Johnson, made uh, the introduction that I've been looking forward to. I mean, whitetail hunting is one of the things I love most. Uh, the NDA is, a, is an amazing organization. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited to talk more about it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for the opportunity. 
Yeah. So Nick, before we get into to NDA a little bit more, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners out there are familiar, but tell people uh, a bit about yourself and the path that kind of led you to where you're at with NDA. It's funny because I always find this to be the hardest question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at talking about myself, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. So I uh, grew up a deer hunter. I was always fascinated by deer even before I could hunt deer. I used to tell deer hunting stories and I'd never deer hunted in my life. So <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, that passion hasn't changed at all. And I grew up in Pennsylvania, which obviously is one of the top deer hunting states. And it's funny, I always tell the story growing up. I just assumed that everybody deer hunted. Right. You know, I was shocked to find out as I become an adult and got out into the world that it's about 5% of us <laughs> in the country that actually hunt. And so where I grew up, it was, you know, we got the first day of school off, you know, the first day of deer season, or like we would say the first day of buck, you know, we would get off for school. So I got it honestly. Uh, I can't say though that I set out for a career working with deer necessarily. Uh, I just wanted to go to college and get a degree and find a decent job. But my entire career has been in conservation. So I've done a lot of work in water quality stream and river restoration type work for about the first half of my career. Then I got into wildlife uh, waterfowl for a little while and then anti-hunting issues with the Sportsman's Alliance before landing with uh, the National Deer Association, which actually that's been going on for about seven years now. I was Someone asked me the other day how long it's been. Like, man, time flies when you're having fun. So, there you go. Yeah, but no, I love what I do. It's a great organization. As you said, I was a life member of, we were known as the QDMA. I was a life member years ago. And so to find myself in the role I'm in now is, um, I don't take that for granted. It's a fortunate spot, but it's an important job too. We do a lot of great things for wild deer hunters and habitat. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny you talk about your upbringing there because I'm in Michigan here. So between Michigan and Pennsylvania, I mean, those are two states that are just steeped in, in hunting and outdoor tradition. And the fact that you made the reference to having the first day of, of, of buck season, for us, it's first day of rifle season. Um, and I grew up in a rural part of, uh, of Northern lower Michigan and yeah, same thing. We had November 15th, we had it off every day, uh, every year, as long as it was on a weekday. And it was, uh, yeah, it was almost like this you know, deer camp and getting out like it was almost like this rite of passage right when you were when you're young and you're on the come up when it comes to to deer hunting yeah there are so many similarities between michigan and pennsylvania i mean even the the arguments are the same like if you blindfolded me and put me in a dnr <laughs> meeting in michigan and, and and just said where are you i wouldn't know if i was in michigan or if i was in pennsylvania and so the passion is very much the same and i've lived in different places in the country i've lived in north dakota i've lived in ohio and now I moved back to Pennsylvania about four four years ago. Uh, it's not the same in other places. And so I feel like I could move to Michigan and feel like that I never left home because oh, they you are drop so right in. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's great. I love I love hearing kind of those those same stories. But if you don't mind, Nick, kind of give me uh, a bit of a brief history on NDA. Yeah, I mean, I guess we probably should go back to when we were known as the Quality Deer Management Association, yeah. which, you know, believe it or not, we've been around now for 35 years. That's a long time. It is. And so we've only been known as the National Deer Association for two years. And it's interesting. So many people became attracted to us back in the initial QDMA days. And at that time, the, the focus was more on... Uh, really letting younger deer walk to have older, older bucks in the age, in the uh, age class to do habitat work, improve your property. Here's how you can have older deer. And it wasn't for everybody. You know, there were a lot of people that were really opposed to that. Uh, I know actually growing up in Pennsylvania, and I know you've had the same thing in Michigan. Uh, people, a lot of people were just okay with shooting 18 year old deer and happy with that and didn't want to be told they had to wait. And, and that's fair. I mean, it's it's funny because what happened, though, was that the QDMA then sort of became the big buck organization, which is really unfortunate because that organization had done so much in the way of getting people to go out and, prove their, and improve their own private lands, encouraging people to do things they'd never done before. And the education, the outreach, the science, the research, that got overshadowed, I think, because 
sportsmen thought it was, oh, this is, you have to own land and you have to chase big bucks to be part of this. Right. And so when we did the merger a couple years ago, that was a great time to do things like change the name, sort of leave that old mantra behind. We also have really evolved as an organization and we still certainly uh, work on habitat. We teach people, you know, we have all the resources in the world to teach people to do great habitat on their properties, whether you're talking about a food plot or timber stand improvement, all of these things. Uh, so we're still doing that very much so. We still believe in a balanced age class of deer. It's just a more natural environment for deer. So uh, we still believe in that. But we also we do a ton of things for introducing new hunters to the sport through our field to fork program. It's been a tremendous program for us. So bringing on people who've always wanted to try hunting but never had the chance. I mean, we're doing you know close to 50 of these a year now, just our organization. So we're very proud of that. Um, policy. We, we do so much in the way of deer policy and, and hunting policy for folks that the average hunter sitting there listening to your show, they don't really want to get too involved in that, but they want to know that somebody's working on it. Right. And so, yeah, we do a ton of work on that and make it as easy as with a few clicks of the mouse, you can be writing your legislator about an issue that's important to you. We've done a ton of stuff in Michigan where you're sitting at and continue to do that. And so we have just really evolved as an organization. This is a place for anybody who deer hunts. If you care about deer, we don't care what kind of buck you shoot, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> you know, we just care that you're doing good stuff for deer hunters and habitat. I mean, that's our mission. We ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife, habitat, and hunting. There's nothing in there about big bucks and all that stuff. Uh, we, we like to shoot them. I like to chase them myself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but, so that's sort of the evolution of the organization. I'm really proud of where we are right now. We're very healthy as an organization. We're in a good position, and we're looking to protect our organization for the future. So what, what can we do now so that 20 years from now, this is a very well taken care of and powerful organization. Yeah. What was that merger like? Cause <clears throat> I know, um, like you, you kind of referenced there a few years back when, uh, it was the, the QDMA, it merged with, it was national deer Alliance. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure I had the verbiage right there. And, uh, I mean, what did that, that look like from an organizational standpoint? Was it pretty fluid? Um, did you guys have to change a lot of, you know, maybe like the mission or was it still, um, you know, very centric on the, the habitat and, and deer quality and population and all that stuff? People are often surprised at my answer when I get that question. I've been asked that a, a number of times. Um, I think it was pretty easy to be honest with you. The hardest part was, was there are a couple of things. So the first thing is when you first float the idea that this would be a good thing, there's the reaction, right? Like you don't know, it's like knocking on somebody's door, man, I've always wanted to hunt that property. I'm going <laughs> to knock on that person's door and like, they're either going to punch you or they're going to, you know, say, yes, you know, you're going to get a chance to hunt. So, um, whenever I first was having discussions, uh, with some folks about the potential for this, I was just. I thought, you know, this makes so much sense to me. I wonder what other people are thinking. And so that was maybe the first step to get people from the National Deer Alliance and the QDMA board members to think, you know what, this is something we should explore. And that went really well. I mean, I don't think there was anybody that said it's a terrible idea. There were certainly a lot of people that said, well, let's let's dig in. Let's take our time and really look at this and what it might mean. And then sitting down with the staff, one of the benefits I had was I've already had working relationships with the QDMA staff. I should have mentioned that I came over from the National Deer Alliance side. I was the, the first and only CEO of that organization and did that for five years. And so we certainly all knew each other. That helped. But, you know, we had to have the discussion. What, what, is, what would this look like? Is this something we need to move forward with? So then the next thing we did was we created a strategic plan together. We started getting the two boards together. And really... Once everybody got on the same page, which it's didn't, it didn't take long, we pretty much did this entire thing in less than a year. By wow. the end of the year, yeah, by the end of the year, we were signing, you know, changing our name and had a strategic plan and a new mission. And, man, we just wanted to roll our sleeves up and get to work. And here we are. Yeah. Now, in that time kind of leading up to it, um, when there was QDMA and there was um, the previous NDA, did did it ever feel kind of like... I don't want to say competing interests because you're both obviously looking out for uh, the health and well-being of, of deer and habitat and all that stuff. But 
Was there ever uh, a concern from, I guess, either side of the of the board or either side of the, the organization of like trying to, you know, grow the member base and, and or were you finding that a lot of people were members of both? Well, it's interesting. A lot of people may not be aware that the the NDA, the old NDA, the alliance was actually created by QDMA. Okay. Yeah, and it was created to work just on policy. And so that was the big difference. At the Deer Alliance, all we did was policy work. We didn't get into all the things that the QDMA was getting into at the time. And we worked quite well together. Uh, it was a nice compliment. So that went well. We also didn't charge for a membership at the old NDA. You could just sign up with an email. Okay. And so we weren't, we weren't competing with members. There may have been a little competition in terms of like corporate sponsors and so on, but it was it was minimal. It didn't take a lot of money to run the old NDA. And so, no, I think that went well, but it, what it came down to was I always felt this way, and I think others did too. I never felt that the old NDA should have existed. I just felt like that the QDMA at the time should have changed the name at that time and moved forward as opposed to having two separate organizations as a matter of fact, a funny part of that story is I was kind of opposed to the idea of creating the NDA <laughs> and uh, never never saw myself sitting in the seat to run it. And that's how it ended up, you know, long story short there. But, uh, hey, we're back together now. We're we're headed down the road. And, you know, it's funny. We don't even talk about the merger here anymore so much. We're past that and, and doing some really good stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. And how has... How has it been now with everything, you know, essentially all under one roof and, you know, policy, habitat work, all that, um, you know, being able to tackle that all at once in, in a big joint effort? Have you noticed a lot of really positive results having everything kind of under one umbrella now? Well, I think it starts with a, a great team and we have a great team here. Uh, we have a group of people that are just really passionate about our mission that uh, that's the focus. We don't do a single thing in this organization without asking ourselves the question, what does this do for deer habitat or hunters? If it doesn't do anything for those things, we don't do it. We don't waste money on it. We don't waste time on it. And so we're laser focused. We're lean. We're much leaner than what we were. So like I said, the business is good. That's been seamless. I mean, we, we want to do stuff. We want to do it well. And if there's more stuff to do, that's going to help deer habitat or hunting then we're going to do it, but we're not going to do stuff just to do it. And we're not going to, be big just for the sake of being big. I mean, I think that's wasteful. I think that we've proven that we can do, we actually, uh, last year when we give our end of year report to the board, we broke many records in this organization in terms of uh, number of uh, uh, educational pieces that we put out, number of videos produced, number of press releases, our budget. You know, the last two years have been a couple of the best budget years in the history of our organization. And we did that with less people. And so it's about getting the right people and being laser focused, not wasting money on things. And so it's, it's really, it's been seamless. Like I said, once we had the merger done, we never looked back. We just moved forward. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And one of the things that, that I really love about NDA is you touched on it earlier is all the different tools, um, information that are, are, is at the disposal of anyone who is a member, anyone who just wants to come onto the website and poke around and see everything. Um, but the one thing that I really like is the field to fork program. You touched again, you touched on that a little bit when we first started here, but kind of take a dive into that, how that all kind of started, um, you know, where you've seen it grow to uh, since the inception of it and, and kind of what's in store for the future with it. Yeah. I mean, that's a man, we could do a whole show just on that program <laughs> in itself. Uh, and we're very proud of it. And our board members are very passionate about it. So you're going to see us doing it for a long time, but you know, in terms of how it started, it really, it started at a farmer's market in Georgia. Hank Forster, who is on our staff and leads that program, was one of a couple individuals there that is, let's give this a try, and started handing out venison and asking people if they'd want to try hunting. And this is going to be a very Cliff Notes version of the story, but it just sort of grew from there, if you will. Um, you know, Hank is a very good sort of ideas guy, and so it's about getting his ideas on the ground. Uh, another big thing that happened was the, the QDMA at the time got some press in the Wall Street Journal. So if you get uh, something written about you in the Wall Street Journal, people are going to uh, see it and hear about it. That's a big deal. And then it was just about putting together events and uh, learning that so many people out there that have never hunted 
it's not because they never wanted to try or never interested. They just were never asked or right. never got the opportunity. And so it really it boils down to connecting people with that do it and have some land or have some time to, to donate, be a mentor, connecting those people with people who want to try it. Uh, give them a little education and you can be out hunting very quickly. And one of the really cool things with that program is that we know that you know, more than eight out of 10 people that go through a field to fork are still going to be hunting on their own after the program. I mean, that to me, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. That's a really high conversion rate for that. <clears throat> um, and that's, that's great too, because I mean, I'm going to be certainly biased in this opinion as you know, a, a lifelong hunter, but it doesn't take much to get hooked right? Like it, it takes one cool experience, even if it's not even with the deer, you just see wildlife being wildlife, right? And you see mother nature doing her thing and you want to come back for more, you know, it's, sometimes it's almost like being able to see deer or harvest a deer. Like those are, that's just icing on the cake in a lot of cases. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's so many great elements to it. I mean, even having participated in them, um, there's just so many moments in there that as a someone that's been doing this a long time, they still catch you. Like it makes me think back to when I was learning to hunt and to see the looks on people's faces. And uh, it's, you can't really describe it and do it justice. You just have to be part of it. So uh, yeah, I mean, and, and even recently we're setting up a field to fork in my area. We have a local uh, NDA branch here and a couple of the people that are going to come on, a, a woman had reached out to me and said that she'd like to get her son involved in it. And Field to Fork isn't really a youth program so much. It's more about, uh, you know, adults that have the ability to get places and buy licenses and whatnot. And uh, she explained that what had happened was her husband was in the military and he's not he, he likes the idea of hunting, but he himself just doesn't really want to go out and do it. You know, he's had some some stress and trauma from being in the military and active duty. And but her son is really interested and went one time and wants to continue doing it. And I said, well, listen, I said, how about both of you? How about let's bring him and how about maybe mom wants to learn too? And she was like, you know what? That'd be awesome. I'd love to learn. It's just nobody asked her, right? Right. And so that's just one of, I mean, literally if you had Hank on here, he could just give you dozens if not hundreds <laughs> of examples of just like that. So we're very proud of it. And no, we're not trying to over flood the woods with hunters and but the, the reality is we're not even replacing the people that are leaving hunting. And so I know some people have some anxiety over, you know, such a focus on hunter recruitment. But, uh, you know, there's plenty of room for everybody. Absolutely. I think we need to yep, take take a friend or don't be afraid to ask, I guess. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's amazing, you know, the kind of the life lessons you learn throughout hunting as well that I'm sure – for, for new hunters, um, you know, maybe they already have, you know, certain disciplines and things like that. But for those that, that maybe didn't, the, you know, the patience, the kind of checking out or removing yourself from kind of the hustle and bustle of, of your everyday life and being able to really just disconnect, be one with nature. I mean, those are things that I think new hunters, if they don't right away, they will certainly come to appreciate that the more time they get to spend in the woods. And what has been the feedback you know, from, from all of these new hunters, like if you just had to kind of, uh, a general theme, is it, is it, I, I would assume it's very positive, but have there been, a, you know, some hunters who, you know, after a, a field to fork program, they just decide, Hey, maybe hunting just isn't for me or, or what, what does that feedback look like? It's extremely rare to get feedback that somebody doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. What most happens is if somebody goes on and they've done it, they may not have found the time to go again, uh, but mostly what we're finding is they can't wait to get out there. I mean, literally yesterday, we got a text message from a former participant in the field to fork and they got their first deer on their own. And I'm, I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my phone right now, a text message that came through from the guys and just, you know, the person said field dressing was easy. Thanks to what I learned from field to fork. And so literally, you know, this person went to a field to fork, saw that it wasn't you know, this huge obstacle to, to figure out how to hunt, went out and shot their own deer, field dressed the deer, and then they come back and thank us for giving them that experience. That is the, I mean, to us, we're sending messages back and forth with little memes of people having <laughs> champagne and parties, you know. So th that's winning for us, right? I mean, that to me, that's that's that shows that you've done something good. You've, you've impacted a person's life in a positive way. And how many people are, is that person going to impact? So... 
just good stuff. Yeah, that's got to be the hard part to really track is kind of the uh, the ripple effect, right? From from <clears throat> getting a new hunter uh, engaged and keeping them engaged, but then you know maybe you know as as adults, you know maybe now didn't grow up in a hunting family, always had some interests. They are able to participate in the field of fork now now their kids, you know, now they're getting them involved. So now they've, they've almost like created this, this hunting family by, you know, one experience in, in this program. And yeah, I just, I think, um, it was a former, um, QDMA employee, Josh Hilliard, um, who I had talked to about this maybe a few years back and he just ranted and raved about the, the entire process, his experience with being in it. And it's just something that for me, as a lifelong hunter and kind of just watching from afar, I absolutely love to see it because I know what those experiences are like the first time that you're able to harvest your deer or witness someone harvest their first deer. Um, it's, it's almost much more gratifying than when you shoot a deer yourself. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, some of my more memorable experiences recently were being around someone or with someone that got their first deer. Uh, this just happened last year at the end of the year, uh, right before Christmas, we had a field to fork in Missouri. And there was a, a woman there that um, Matt Ross was her mentor, but I was also kind of tagged attached to it. I was trying to film some of it and being with her when she walked up to her first deer. And this is a middle-aged woman, never hunted before. No one in her family hunts. Everyone in her family thinks she's crazy for wanting, wanting to try it. <laughs> and there she is, you know, she's shooting her first deer. She's field dressing it. The emotion joy sadness just because it was like it was a big deal you know the first time you you take an animal's oh, life yeah. i get it we all feel that but um yeah it's just like i said we could go on the whole time and just talk about great stories at field to fork so yeah we're we're very proud of that program yeah and i can't imagine her family thought she was too crazy when uh, she started cooking up venison for the rest of them too because tough to beat it really is yeah absolutely so <clears throat> from a, a membership standpoint nick what is NDA doing to, to really keep, you know, their, their members and their volunteers, um, you know, motivated, wanting to keep them coming back? I mean, is it just, you know, a love for deer hunting that they have, or is there just, you know, besides the field of fork, other just great programs that they can get involved in that make it super easy for them? Yeah. I mean, we, nobody does what we do, you know, for deer exactly like we do for whitetails especially there are other groups out there but they don't do what we do we like i said we do policy we do the on the ground habitat we do the science and education nobody does that and so if you're a deer hunter and you really care about deer beyond just you know what i grab the rifle and go once a year but don't think much about it um this is you should consider belonging to this organization and following what we do um we're also at an interesting time with the merger. There was, I think, concern about, are we going to lose a bunch of members? And we've actually seen the opposite. So we have this, it's funny. We have this internal struggle about who is a member of the NDA. Is it, is it somebody that we're influencing that's going out and doing something? Or is it somebody that sends us money for a membership? Uh, our, our membership is, has been basically flat or has even grown a little bit since the merger. But what we're seeing is all of the people that are subscribing to our YouTube page, for example, our social media, who have subscribed to our newsletter, that has grown and grown steadily and in, in an exciting way. And so we're influencing so many people that, that, are, that are hunting or want to learn about hunting. So that's good. I would say we're continuing on an upward trajectory. The other part is we want to educate everybody about deer and their importance to conservation. So uh, the staff will also will often hear me say, I have this dream that I want people to start joining NDA who maybe have no intention of even hunting, but they care about conservation and they recognize that eight out of 10 people that buy a hunting license are going to hunt deer and all of the money that's generated from that goes to support all wildlife conservation. Yep. So if you're sitting there in Michigan looking out at your bird feeder, somebody's managing those species and a lot of that money is coming on the backs of deer and deer hunters. And so we take it as a responsibility to educate people about that because, you know, much like Ducks Unlimited, I always use them as the example. There are a lot of people that buy a duck stamp that are never going duck hunting just right. because of the con conservation value. We want the same thing for deer. We have the most prolific and sought after recognizable game animal in North America, and it's time that it gets its due. Yeah, that's 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 very well put. So what would you say is probably the biggest concern or the biggest 
obstacle that that kind of is out there for the whitetail deer? Yeah, I mean, I think on the ground wise, it's well, obviously we have great concerns about things like chronic wasting disease. You know, we don't know where that's headed, but it doesn't look like it's headed to a positive place. Um, it's popping up in more and more states, more and more counties and states and growing within those states. So that's a challenge. Uh, it's a, it's a challenge because it's a bad news thing for deer. And, you know, a lot of people just are naturally biased. They don't want to hear stories about things that are bad for deer and something that they're passionate about. And I get it. Uh, I don't like to hear it. I don't like to talk about it either, but it's there. So we have to acknowledge it. It's, it's an issue. Uh, I think policy is another thing we should be concerned about. Uh, just this, and this is why we're so passionate about getting knowledge out there about deer and deer hunting and why it's so important. Uh, people, you see a lot of crazy things happening in municipal, you know, municipal areas or, or more built up areas where deer are getting overpopulated and you're starting to see things like communities banding together to fight deer hunting because they don't want to see hunting. And so just a lack of understanding. So bad policy. I have it right here in my community. I just literally this morning got an email where they were going to have a hunt on a property that was owned by the municipality. And they got so much pushback from other people that use these properties, hikers or whatever, that even though the the property is destroyed, has no early successional habitat because of deer, they're postponing the hunt now and may not even have it. Oh, wow. And I live in, yeah, and I live in an area where again this is hunting central you know? yeah you're in pa yeah absolutely yeah and that crap happens here and it's very frustrating so um i think bad policy is the next thing to that, that would be concerning but you know really for the most part though deer populations across the country are outstanding the hunting is better than it than it really it ever has been so there are a lot of things to be excited about for deer and so I, I don't want to dwell on the negative, but it's it's important to bring those up because we can't just ignore them. Uh, I know people right now, too, are talking about EHD as an issue, but luckily for EHD, it's a it's a temporary issue. It, it's not like CWD that's a you know 100 percent fatal long term killer, but it's still it's still something we have to deal with. So, yeah, <clears throat> CWD um, is, is certainly one of those things that, you know, where I grew up um, hunting, it was it was never, you know, disease. And this is, you know, in the nineties, right? So, you know, disease and things like that weren't a, a big topic of concern for, for hunters. Um, at least not to me, I guess, right? Like in my early stages, but as I've gotten older and I, I'm hunting a different, you know, part of the state, um, I think it was, uh, not last year, but the year before, we were in a CWD adjacent, um, county. So it was recommended that we get, um, you know, our, our, our deer tested. Um, and that I think, you know, for, for hunters, it's, it's our responsibility, um, to also make sure that we're doing our part when it comes to trying to help biologists and, um, other people who are making these, educated decisions on the betterment of the the herd and the population and things like that to supply them with as much data and information as possible to allow them to to do their jobs accurately and to the best of their ability to make the right decisions because if if we're going to be selfish about it and just say well i shot the deer and now i'm just going to do with it what i need to you know it's you're almost missing um kind of the bigger picture of of deer hunting as a whole yeah, I mean it's an inconvenience. We it's one it's interesting. I mean nobody puts out more information about CWD than we do. We're proud of that. We have uh, some grant sources as well that that allow us to spend a lot of time on the issue because it is important. But uh, like I said, it's bad news. And so we we also know if we put out like today our newsletter went out, and anytime we put it out with a headliner about CWD, you can just see. <laughs> Nobody's clicking through to read it because they don't want to hear about it. Yeah. And I get it. But that doesn't mean it's not there. I mean, just because you ignore it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so we continue to push hard on it. We want to see sampling. We want people getting their deer tested. And it's not a huge inconvenience. I think people get nervous about something that they don't understand a whole lot. I mean, my property I, that I own is in a CWD management area. And so, okay, I got to do a couple extra things. I got to not leave with certain parts before I bring it home. And, uh, I, I like to drop my head in a bin and get it tested and, yep. and make sure it's not positive. That's, that's not a big deal. You know, it's yeah. not a huge deal. 
it's, it's the least we can do to try to help get a handle on the issue. Where do you see kind of the overall landscape of deer hunting? I mean, you're, you're obviously in a position where you have just a, a ton of information and data kind of at your disposal, whether it's from a policy side of things, um, a population and number side of things. Where do you see things in the next 5, 10, 15 years as it pertains to both the population and kind of the policy side of things? Well, on the, on the policy and just the growth of the sport, we're hoping to see growth there. We're seeing some encouraging signs. I mean, more and more people, uh, you know, frankly, the pandemic was helpful in that regard. You know, people having meat shortages and it really pushed some people to say, you know what, maybe I could get my own protein out there. So that was helpful. We want to continue to build on that. We talked about field to fork. That's all a positive. You know, in terms of populations, I think for us, it's not about a number as much as balance. We want to make sure that there are not too many deer for the habitat that's available to support them. And so how do we do that? Well, we make sure that we harvest enough antlerless deer, which by the way, we didn't get into that as a concern. I think we're seeing some things across the country that are a little bit concerning that people aren't shooting enough does. And we think that that may be because they're sitting there waiting for a certain buck and they're worried that it'll, it'll ruin their opportunity to doe. So we got to get education out there and get people filling doe tags. Uh, but at any rate, it's about the number of deer that are right that can be sustained based on their habitat. So you can either really reduce deer numbers or you can really improve habitat or in a perfect scenario, you're doing a little bit of both. And that's really what we advocate for. Let's do both. Let's have the right size deer population for the habitat that can support it. You're going to have less deer conflicts that way, less deer getting hit on roads, you know, just less problems. And so I don't know. I, I don't see any reason why deer hunting itself won't continue to be very healthy and, and there'll be plenty of deer for people to hunt. And in my lifetime and your lifetime, there's, there's never been a better time to hunt deer than, than right now. So there's no reason we can't keep that going. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. So going back to what we talked about kind of when we kicked off the conversation here is you didn't necessarily set out to work, um, you know, with deer, uh, as, as kind of a lifelong goal, but since being in that position, um, you know, for previously with the NDA, uh, well with previous stint with the previous NDA and then now with the, um, the deer Alliance or the deer association, excuse me, what is kind of, what's, what's your favorite part of the job? What is it that, that kind of keeps you motivated getting up every morning and, and, you know, hard charging to make sure that, that everything is in place and, and needs to be, um, where it should be and that the outlook continues to be bright. I think the, the number one thing is just the mission. It is such an important mission and a, a, gr a great responsibility to look after this animal, to look after our sport, uh, to do the types of things we do. So that's number one. It's easy to get up knowing that when you go to work that day, you're working for something that is so important and you're making a difference. Uh, but the other thing is our team. You know, the passion that this team has and how hard they work is inspiring to me. I, I tell our team all the time, like, listen, like, I'm a fan of you guys, you know. <laughs> and so, and we're fans of each other. We're all fans of each other's work here. And uh, we just we just brought on a new hire here recently. And, and she said one of the things that really attracted me and wanted to be part of this was just because of the culture there. And so the, cult the culture drives me, the passion of our board of directors we have so many people that just give their time for this issue that's so important. Our funders, uh, our private donors that give money to support this issue. So um, I'll just say that it's 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 easy to get up to go do this job. It's a responsibility. It's still work. It's not all fun and games. People sometimes think we're, you know, my suitcase is always packed and I'm on a hunt somewhere <laughs> all over the country. That's that's just not true. It's just not true at all. Um, and it's just, again, it's, it's easy to get up to do. It's an important mission. Yeah. And so it's, it's all of those things. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I've been kind of noticing it throughout the course of our conversation here, Nick, the, if for some reason you ever decide to get out of deer and conservation, coaching is right up your alley, man. Cause the, the things that you say, the, <laughs> the motivation behind what you're saying and, and the way you deliver it, I mean. I, I could see you being a coach for, for any type of sport because I could see players wanting to uh, run through walls for you with with the, the conviction that you have. 
Well, I'll take that as a compliment. I am a coach, so I coach baseball. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, at, in, at our at our local high school here, and coached football for a number of years before finally this year I kind of retired from that because it's such a conflict with hunting, <laughs> oh, deer yeah. hunting. You know, and or, so uh, at any rate, uh, yeah, I I do coaching, and uh, but yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what for you know and. Sometimes it's kind of hard uh, in, in these certain kinds of conversations because I, I feel like there's, you know, one, a lot of the questions that I'm asking you is I feel like I have a general idea of the answer, right? So it's always tough to, to ask a question you maybe know the answer to. But for our listeners who are maybe early on in their journey with deer hunting or um, they're, you know, maybe they, they turkey hunt or bird hunt, but, they, you know, deer hunting is just something that they've never done. What would you tell those, you know, potential new hunters, um, about deer hunting that, that maybe they're unaware of? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, deer hunting is, and I'm, I'm going to quote my good friend, Ron Hawes in Delaware, who I, who I hunt with every year, a great conservationist manages land for the Delaware wildlands conservancy. Um, deer hunting is, it's an, it's a journey. It's an adventure. And, we're we often as especially society we're, we're we're often driven toward an outcome a particular outcome you know maybe it's shooting a certain deer but that's the smallest part of it and so every time you know, we talked about sports and coaching you don't always leave the field with a win no matter how good you are right but i feel like that every time you go into the deer woods you're it's a win it's a win because you're blessed to be able to be there. It's a win because you're going to learn so much, not just about deer, but just about wildlife and how it interacts with its environment. You're going to recharge your batteries because you're there uh, thinking about that experience and, and hopefully not something else that you're burdened with. So don't get into deer hunting because, you know what, I just want to shoot a deer. Okay, I mean, that's great. But that's the smallest part of it. It's everything else that goes into it. I mean, and as someone that even manages property, you manages my land, I, I get, I spend way more time doing the management of the land and, and doing the work and, and enjoying hearing grouse drumming whenever this is a time when grouse are not in a, in a good place, you know, habitat issues. I have bears, I have bobcats, I have coyotes. A lot of people get worried about those things because they think they're going to impact deer, but if you have good habitat, you can have all the things. And so... Deer hunting is all the things if you're if you're doing it a certain way. So go out, get the experience, fall in love with it, and then the other stuff will just follow along with it. You're going to find that you're going to get involved in some of the bigger picture issues. And really, deer deer are for everybody, even if you don't hunt them. They're they're important to everybody. Yeah, that's 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 very well put, Nick. I, I love the 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 learning aspect of what you said because yeah, if you rate deer hunting um, by wins and losses and by that i mean if it's a win if you harvest a deer you're going to come out a loser more times than you than <laughs> you really care to right and it's going to be very discouraging so you have to go in there with that that mindset that you just talked about in order to to really appreciate everything that that a deer a white-tailed deer has to offer for you yeah it's funny i was telling my wife the other day as i was loading up a few bags of fertilizer and uh paying the bill and i was like well venison's going to be about a hundred dollars a pound this year <laughs> and so when you figure like you said most of the time if you look at your if you let's put it this way if you consider success me being you've tagged a deer and you look at the amount of times you've hunted or hours you've put in to tag that deer it's a pitifully low success rate. it really is <laughs> And so you better darn well love the journey, just like we tell athletes. I tell our guys, you better love the practice because, especially in football, we're only playing one game a week and we're yep. only playing 10 games a year. So you better darn well love the practice and all the other work that goes into it. And that's the same thing with deer hunting. You better love the process and the journey uh, because otherwise it's going to be disappointing for you. Yeah, that's that's very well put. All right, Nick, before I let you get out of here, um, for those that want to learn more um, or sign up to become a member of NDA, where can uh, they find out more information? Yeah, go to our website, deerassociation.com. I go there myself all the time when I'm looking for things that when I'm trying to learn something, so you're learning from our people, which is awesome. 
And so, yeah, learn more about us there. We have a brand new website, by the way. It just launched uh, about a week ago. So we're very proud of that. Check it out. Sign up for our newsletter. It's free. And I always tell people I'm very, uh, very open and accessible. So if you have a question for me directly, you can find me very easily. My email is just nick at deerassociation.com. And don't be shy. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you very much for taking some time today. I feel like this was a, a great conversation to kind of kick off org month here on the podcast. And, you know, deer season in Michigan starts in uh, two days. So this is going to launch, uh, you know, after that opening weekend here in Michigan. So uh, it's a great time for uh, for us to have this chat. So thank you again. I appreciate it. Well, deer season opens in two days here as well. Some more similarities with Michigan. There you go. And uh, no, really the thanks needs to go to you and folks like you who put in a lot of time to get the word out and help us get the word out. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Well, best of luck this season, Nick. Uh, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again soon. All right. Take care. All right. All right. Well, thank you again to Nick for joining me today. Great way to kick off Org Month here on the podcast. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, Wild Rivers Coffee, Outdoor Class, and of course, 2% for Conservation. Uh, please be sure to go out, support these brands um, that help support this podcast and make it possible. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can Visit their website, fishandwildlife.org, and over there you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only positive conservation-driven content landing in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, this week, everyone. Be sure to check out theaverageconservationist.com. Grab some gear to help support conservation. And if you could, do me a favor, um, wherever you're listening to uh, your episodes, be sure to uh, subscribe, rate, follow, all that good stuff uh, with the podcast as well. Um, so until oh, next week's guest, yeah, next week we have EJ Porth from the Gallatin Valley Land Trust, uh, which is a great conversation. Um, ton of really useful information, not only for uh, kind of the greater Bozeman area where they reside, but also just land trusts in general. So until next week, everyone stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.